Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Hey, it's Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. I'm Cindy House, and I host this here show. Thanks for being here. Before we get into our guest today, the wonderful Eliza Edens, let's talk about newsletter, social media. You can sign up for our newsletter at basicfolk.com, send you a monthly reminder of what's been happening here at the podcast. Or you can follow us on social media, at Basic Folk Pod. All right. Growing up in the Berkshires, Massachusetts-born Eliza Edens grew up in a family with strong musical roots. Getting her first guitar at age 16, she was moved to write songs as her chosen form of expression. After some time in Philly, Eliza took on New York, choosing Brooklyn as her home base. There, she found community and began to thrive creatively, especially in embracing her queer identity. Eliza uses she-they pronouns. She released her second album, Will Become the Flowers, in 2022, seeking to understand what happens after the end. She had a lot of processing to do after a breakup and her mother being diagnosed with a neurodegenerative disease. Her mother has been a central figure in her songwriting recently, especially in her love of gardening and flowers. Eliza's music, like the person, is thoughtful, unpredictable, serious, and silly. I hope you enjoy getting to know this cool musician. I want to play a couple of clips during uh, the episode, but uh, we'll start off listening to this song, Tom and Jerry, and then we'll get to our conversation with Eliza Edens on Basic Folk. I did everything to catch you. Turned my arms into marble statues Wrapped around your chest We mined until the gold was left Was it the drive up 95? Showing you how the stick shift slides Laughing at every stall And screaming when the words got small It's an adage to Eliza Edens, what is up? Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Such, such an honor. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you because I think you are cool. <laughs> oh, I think you're really cool, too. <laughs> oh, thanks. Uh, you grew up in the Berkshires. I did. What part did you grow up in? I grew up in a town called Williamstown. Okay, cool. My family has a bunch of people like in the foothills of the Berkshires, like I think more in the Pioneer Valley, but I love, 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 love the Berkshires. Um, how do you think where you grew up has impacted who you are today and how do you relate 
to your home as an adult? I spent a lot of time when I was a kid, like playing in the woods. Um, I grew up with a brook in my backyard. Yeah, just spent a lot of time close to nature. And I feel like it's sort of made me like a curious observer of the world um, in in that way. So just sort of observing what was around me and just and more ima- and and um, an imaginative person too. Um, like my brother and I would spend a lot of time building snow forts, playing in the woods, like creating games in the brook that we grew up close to. Um, so I think it sort of gave me the ability to create, like figure out how to spend time doing nothing um, mm. in some ways. Cool. Did you have a lot of like ailments from the outside, like stepping in hornet's nests and poison ivy <laughs> and, and stuff like that? Um. Yeah, definitely. Over the years, my parents would call them raspberries. Like if like if we fell on while well, like riding our bikes or something. Um. Yeah, definitely, definitely some uh, some wounds. Yeah, Western Mass wounds. <clears throat> <laughs> Nothing like it. I read that music has always been in your life, and I think it has roots in your family. Um, Can you talk about where music has existed in your family and kind of like set the scene for what music looked like in your house growing up? Yeah, um, so neither of my parents were like musicians, but I had like a grandparent on either side that uh, played piano pretty like, as like a strong hobby. Um, My grandma on my dad's side um, and then my uh, mom's dad played piano. Um, I never knew him, but I but I knew my grandma, and um, sometimes uh, she passed away maybe, maybe three years ago now. But um, mm. when I would go to her house, sometimes we would play together. Um, but my parents were very avid and are very avid um, music listeners. Um, there's they have a big record collection. Um, I listened to like a ton of Beatles growing up. They played us a ton of like Peter, Paul and Mary as like lullaby tapes when me and my brother were going to bed. So definitely was like listening to a lot of music when I was a kid. Um, sort of playing, I guess less, um, but just listening, listening a lot. It's kind of cool. Like, so I don't exactly know how old you are, but I would think like your parents would be like playing you stuff from like the eighties or like early '90s, but like cool to hear you got the Beatles and Peter, Paul, and Mary. Is my yeah. math right? <laughs> I'm 29, so they were they were, but they had me late. Like my mom had me when she was 39, so she, they were born in the 50s. Oh, okay, boomers. All right, yeah. So they don't they don't know about like Wham and Culture Club. Not no, that wasn't as much there. Yeah. No, okay, yeah, yeah, cool. Era. All right, um, I always like to know like how someone's parents listen to music like how that impacted the way that like you treat you treated music you know when music became really important to you like the lessons they may have instilled in you when it comes to like appreciating music and being a music listener and and um fan i feel like in general i mean they 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 like loved a lot of soul music too they loved like cb wonder and aretha franklin um my mom i feel like more connected with that style of music um I feel like she was always very sensitive to like whether an artist was being truthful or not like 
I feel like that's that was sort of what she paid attention to. And then my dad was sort of more of the nerd about it and would be more interested in, you know, who was the producer on, you know, what album and blah, blah, blah. And um, that's more what he paid attention to. Cool. You got your first guitar when you were 16. How did that happen? Yeah. Um, so actually, my parents got my brother a guitar um, for Christmas one year. And then he never really got into it, never really played it. And so he gave it to a, a friend of his. Um, and then eventually, I just started getting interested in, in wanting to learn guitar. And I asked for it, for it back from that friend. <laughs> um, so sort of by way of my parents, I got a guitar. <laughs> ah, cool. After you got that guitar, you started writing and you say, songwriting itself was a relief. I don't know how I'd process emotions without it. So what prompted you to start writing songs and how do you relate now to like your initial desire to write? Well, I started getting into the idea of songs by just playing other people's songs, playing a lot of cover songs and mostly on the piano. And then somehow I just I just became more interested in guitar and then when it and then I I think I just got sort of bored of right of singing other people's songs and I was like who are you singing I would sing like Ingrid Michaelson songs or like Jack Johnson songs uh or like John that tracks yeah sure yeah (laughs) I listen to your music I'm like "Mm, clearly Jack Johnson (laughs) (laughs) um and yeah, and I think I just got sort of bored. Yeah, I just I had an a, a impulse to want to write my own songs, and um, I think a part of it too was just like being in a, being you know growing up in a small town where there again there's nothing to do. I didn't grow up in a city mm-hmm. where there's like constantly, you know, you're constantly hanging out with your friends, going different places. I spent a lot of time alone, and I just sort of had to figure out something to do. Your music. Uh, I find it like so meditative and also like kind of unpredictable. Uh, sometimes I think that you're gonna like go one place and you'll surprise me. It's like unusual and lovely and like I'm hooked like on your phrasing. So can you talk <laughs> about how you developed your like sense of melody and your sense of phrasing in songs? Yeah, thank you. Um, I think I've always been attracted to singers that do that do that um that are a little unpredictable because it always sort of keeps you interested and engaged um like a singer that I really admire that my mom showed me when I was younger was um is Eva Cassidy and she she just has this beautiful way of really opening up a song with the way that she sings and every like just the way that she sings each verse of a song um, is very specific to that verse. Um, and like, mm. it's like building a story with the way that you're singing as well as the, as well as the words of the song. And I think too, I was drawn to like more sort of jazzy style singers when I was younger. I, I like really liked Billie Holiday and I mean that's just like the the at the core of jazz is improvisation and um, yeah. So just adding like continuing to add life to a song as it's unfolding, um, mm-hmm. I think was something that 
really interested me and and then I guess I just sort of absorbed that through many many hours of listening one name that like was coming to me when I'm listening to your music is Nick Drake yeah is yeah. that a big one? Oh yes yeah okay <laughs> yeah yeah it's awesome your writing process you say the writing process I don't usually find it draining I'm a pretty introspective person by nature it's playful and a lot of it's spent in a flow state so can you describe that flow state like how do you and how you get in that headspace yeah um you're actually catching me at a good time because I just finished uh like a 10-day uh songwriting challenge like with with a group of songwriter friends we wrote a song a day for the first 10 days of January um so yeah well recently my flow state has been like lighting like candles (laughs) and like (laughs) just doing a ton of journaling um and then just sort of trying to get myself in a space of non-judgment towards myself and just trying to give myself permission for anything to come up um and put that on the page and just and just play around with it um and then usually after after that I'll go back and re-listen or re-edit and see sort of what what the song wants to be and then how can I help it get there after the fact I guess You've been writing since you were 16. Um, You have two albums out. And you're kind of like still at the beginning of this this thing, this career. How did you get from like writing your first songs to deciding to play your music out in public? I think think it was just encouragement from friends. Um, I guess in high school, I didn't really play out at all but um in college there were these open mic nights um on campus and I would sort of frequent those um and I mean when I first started playing my songs in front of people I was incredibly incredibly nervous um so so uncontrollably nervous um uh and it was just sort of putting myself in that hot seat over and over again. Yeah, just sort of um, continually putting myself in that hot seat. I I also sort of realized that, um, I mean, it became a way to connect with people and and make more friends. Um, And that felt great too, so I just sort of kept doing it. Mm. And then then people would come up to me and just be like, you you, you know, you're doing something really special, just keep doing it. so I think oh, that's nice. over over the years, um, those kinds of comments have encouraged me to just keep doing it. Can you imagine what it would have been like for you if they were like, this is not that special, you should stop <laughs> doing it? I have heard stories of people going up to people and saying stuff like that. And I just don't think that's ever a productive thing to say, you know? like No, definitely not. Yeah. So like you're talking about performing at first putting yourself in the hot seat so I want to hear more about like how hard it was for you to perform versus like how you find performing now like what you enjoy what you don't enjoy about it I sort of go back and forth about the idea of you're so you're just so vulnerable on stage you're like really on display in front of people and that's something that I don't know if I will ever completely totally be comfortable with but I also think that that tension is there's something interesting there like 
and I think there there always is a degree of risk when you're performing in front of people, which is, um, yeah, it's exciting, but also a little terrifying. Um, mm. I think I guess when I when I feel the best on stage performing in front of people, it's when I'm when I feel like I'm not afraid to be uh, honest with myself, and I'm performing songs that I like that I feel confident with, and that I feel are truthful like practicing yeah <laughs> I've, I've practiced, I've practiced yeah <laughs> and it's also like more you know it's really unpredictable when you're playing songs that you have never played in front of people before but like this like the collection of songs that I've been playing out now for about a year or so that are most of them are on um this the album that I put out uh, a few months ago I I feel pretty comfortable playing those songs out in front of people just because they're so worn and like I know how people re- will react to them in some way and there's mm-hmm. a they're like you know tested and tried and true mm-hmm. um whereas I just wrote some songs over the past week or so that the, the analogy I like to make is sort of like when you when you're playing a new song in front of people it's almost like uh you're like opening a you've, you're opening a soda can that you've like shook up and you open it and it's just like ah <laughs> you don't know you have no idea what's gonna happen um, and you have no idea how you'll react to it too in the moment while you're sharing it's just like this constant feedback yeah. loop with an audience so wow um, is this true you use she they pronouns mm-hmm can you talk about your experience with gender identity? Yeah, um, I think sort of a few years ago I decided to start doing that because there's always been a part of myself that doesn't fully feel like a woman, but there is also a part of myself that does. And I just sort of wanted to embrace that um, ambiguity in a way. Um, mm-hmm. um, wh- and when I was a kid too, I was very much, um, I was like a huge tomboy, would dress, you know, wear like backwards hats all the time and almost sometimes wanted to be a boy because I feel like they just got to do more fun things. Um, Mm. And I was not interested in like dolls or like hot pink nail polish. Um, (laughs) So yeah, and, and I don't know, I feel like I've sort of leaned into more um, like feminine directions in my life and more masculine directions in my life. And I feel like I've just sort of decided to embrace the, that ambiguity in a way. Mm. You've also said that as you become more comfortable with your queer identity, you say, I'm also becoming more comfortable in my body and occupying space on stage, which I, I find like really interesting. So how does being queer and recognizing it help you on stage? Um, It just helps me feel more myself. Um, And I think the more more yourself you are, just the more beautiful you are. I think it inspires other people as well to become more of themselves and um, because that's all that we can be. Uh, 
You talk about music as a communal process. So what has been your、um, experience with community throughout your life, and why do you find it so crucial to your musicality? When I was growing up,、um, my family or my parents had had quite a few friends where we grew up.、Um, I feel like I definitely grew up in a in a strong community.、Um, wasn't necessarily a musical community or an artistic community,、um, but definitely my my mom especially was、uh, very much a social butterfly and had a lot of friends. And I feel like sort of instilled in me the importance of of friendship. In general, in community in general, I also grew up going to a、um, a summer camp where community was also very strong and、um, encouraged, and、um, still have a lot of、uh, lifelong close friends from from that、uh, community. But but I mean, I was also a very shy kid,、um, so sometimes I felt like. I wasn't really sure how to engage in community in some ways, but、um, that's just sort of changed over time. Yeah, and then in terms of how it's affected my musicality, it's only like made it made me a better musician.、Um, when I was in college, I I was in this rock band,、um, and we just had so much fun together and, and learned a lot from each other. And then, sort of as I've Uh, been building a music career and, and meeting people and playing shows、uh, in Philly, where I, where I lived for three years, and now in Brooklyn.、Um, I just I just feel like I learn so much、um, through my peers、um, and through seeing how everyone approaches and, and listens to music in different ways.、Um, yeah, sort of being able to. See and acknowledge how people do that differently is really astounding to me.、Um, mm. And two, with like the, I'm so fresh off of this this song thing. Like being able to hear、um, how how everyone like in that group like approached the challenge of writing writing a song every day,、um, and you know what they decide to focus on because you know you can't write unless. You're very, very well practiced and total song genius. Like it's hard to write a really, really, really good song in one day,、um, mm. and it's just interesting to. It was just interesting to hear like what everyone decided to focus on. You know, some people are a lot more lyrically driven. Some people are more interested in in like writing beautiful melodies or writing beautiful guitar parts or working、mm-hmm. on you know having some like interesting aspect of production or like some crazy flute thing. So. Yeah, I feel like it's,、um, and it also just uh, community, community、um, musical community. I feel like just、uh, is sort of. I mean, it's the reason why we all play music. It's to communicate with other people.、Um, hey, hey, <laughs> there you go. Hey, <laughs> had you done that write a song a day exercise before? I had done it by myself, which is a lot more challenging.、Um, I did a residency in Colorado in August of twenty twenty one, and I tried to write a song every. I was there for a month, and I tried to write a song every weekday,、um, and almost did that.、Um, but it's a lot more challenging to do by your lonesome. It's a lot easier when you have like the solidarity of、um, other songwriters and the rule that、mm. if you don't write it, then you're out of the group. Do you so? Are you, you 
Do you label yourself as an introvert? I have in the past, but um, I feel like maybe that label is just not helpful anymore. Right. Well, there's like things as like introverted, extrovert, right. extroverted, introvert, like that, like all that, like Myers Briggs stuff. Yeah. I think it's like maybe more complex than like one or the other. But yeah, like it sounds like you really thrive off other people's energy. Think in when thinking about like a musical community, I do too. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you live in Brooklyn, uh, and I forgot you lived in Philly. I think I knew that, but maybe I didn't. <laughs> um, how did you get there? How did you get to Brooklyn, and what's been your your New York experience? Well, I drove down one October uh, evening, maybe in twenty yeah twenty twenty. So I was uh, the I was the bold person who decided to move to New York City when everyone was was moving away. Um, <laughs> Probably got a good deal on rent. I did, I did, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I had wanted to move uh, to New York City sort of for my entire life. I think, especially growing up in a rural area, um, I was always just so curious about. Um, New York's I mean New York City was sort of the closest big big city I mean Boston was sort of equidistant from where I grew up but yeah I'd always wanted to live there and live here and um I just I think it sort of took me a few years to sort of work up the confidence and and also like a plan to make enough money um to be able to do it um and and then I finally did and, and it's been really, really um, challenging, of course, but um, but also like very, very invigorating um, personally and creatively. Um, and I'm like really, really glad that I that I've that I did that. Hmm. Do you see yourself staying there f- for the time being? I think I don't think my chapter here is up yet, but I I'm not sure that I could stay could like settle down here uh if i if i settle down but um mm-hmm. because it's just it's just quite expensive but it is i think it will be a tough place to leave as i've heard mm-hmm. from many people who have spent a lot of time here and then left from what i can tell you enjoy being silly <laughs> um you are a goofball um, and I also see that translating into your music at times. So where did that playfulness come from and where do you see it being expressed in your art? Definitely my mom. Uh, she's just a total joker a lot of the time. Uh, and uh, growing up with my brother too, like when we were little kids, we'd just be making up games and total just doing total nonsense nonsense things all the time um yeah just making up so many games um but yeah I think uh a lot of that sort of sort of came from her and uh and was sort of uh encouraged by many friends that I've met over the years and then I guess in terms of how it plays out in, in my songwriting I feel like I'm I'm slowly letting more of that in I feel like I've been pretty almost a little too self-serious with my songwriting and I'm trying to lean more into 
more of a playful attitude um, and like a looser attitude. Um, But I guess like there's a song on the album that I put out um, called Tom and Jerry that's um, a little bit more of like a like a goofy song like uh, and and Mm. serious too and and sad in some ways but um, I mean it's about it was inspired by the cartoon Tom and Jerry which was one of my favorites to watch when I was a kid Um, so I I think I'm still sort of figuring out the answer to that question to be honest cool I have a question about that song later on but um, your new album will become the flowers you say it seeks to understand what happens after the end, whether grappling with heartache or a loved one's mortality. After writing and sitting with these songs for a bit, how have your feelings about endings changed? Like, how do you feel if if you like sense an ending coming up? Like, is that okay? Yeah, I think I've I think I've become to I think I've started to become a little bit more okay with the idea with the idea of endings um and I don't think that I don't think that endings will ever be something that's easy for me um or anyone but uh I think viewing viewing endings as an opportunity um and sort of a door into something new and different um is something that I've sort of taken away from these songs and and that time in my life also, how did these songs help you better understand your own grief? In many ways. <laughs> uh, let's see. I think they taught me that uh, grief can be can look like many things. It doesn't. It's not always something that's uh, sad. Um, it can be sort of appreciating the joy of what was. Or I think I think it's sort of many of these songs just sort of. I mean. Some of them are quite sad and some of them are are not as sad. And I think it's just sort of like provided me or I provided myself by writing them just sort of a map through what I was going through and, and processing um, the end of a relationship, uh, an illness uh, in my family that is, has been quite challenging. And um, I think I've just learned that there, <laughs> I mean, similar to what you said earlier about my music, uh, that it's unpredictable. Sometimes I think I've just learned that grief is unpredictable and, um, Mm. and just to sort of be compassionate with yourself about riding the ups and downs of it. Um, I think is something that I, that I learned and that, you know, it's all going to be okay. Mm. And, and the ability to tell yourself that. Of the title of the album, which is Will Become the Flowers, you say it's actually like pretty literal. Uh, we all go back to the dirt one day and hopefully grow into something else beautiful. Um, can you talk about your connection to gardening and growing things? My mom uh, was a gardener. She, um, yeah, she, she was a gardener for like almost 10 plus years when I was um, mostly in Uh, like elementary school up until high school um she had private clients around the Berkshires and she would design uh, and maintain their gardens and she worked at the the Berkshire Botanical Garden uh for a number of years too um and she was always just very just so connected to 
the natural world and very curious you would know like all the latin names of flowers and stuff like that and there's a you know a giant bookshelf in in my parents house of like tons and tons of gardening books um it was just sort of her how is she on a nature walk pointing out all the flowers (laughs) or fun (laughs) (laughs) yeah she used yeah yeah um she would know all the names of the flowers uh but yeah so so through her um and like there were a bunch of gardens she on like the half acre where i grew up there were a bunch of gardens um that were sometimes well maintained but uh she also you know spent a lot of time working in other people's gardens so i think when i was a little little kid i was like gardening is boring like it requires way too much patience like when she would ask me and my brother to help out we, we would be kind of bored um but as i've grown up and matured um i've definitely you know recognized that the ability to sort of be in that realm of time of sort of just sort of that pace of time um, of like how things grow yeah. in natural ways, um, I think is really important to stay connected to. Um, but I am definitely not a, I wouldn't call myself a gardener. I'm a gardener of songs. <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> While writing this album, your mom got sick. She was diagnosed with a neurodegenerative disease. And you said, I was spending a lot of time trying to understand what it means to watch the hopeful person who raised me seem to slowly fade before my eyes. So um, what happened to your relationship with hope out of that experience? It's made me a more hopeful person, uh, strangely enough. Um, yeah, it's it's been really challenging. The hardest um, thing that I've ever had to do is watch watch my mom just sort of slowly fade away um especially uh someone that i just loved so much and who really loved me there there's so many ways i think what what i've been trying to grapple with uh throughout this whole process um is trying to find the ways that i still can connect with her um yeah trying to find like even even though someone can't uh you know, have like emotionally complex conversations anymore, like what we're having. Um, there's still like an essence there, and there's their spirit is still there. And being able to insert yourself into their world, um, which is you know sometimes beyond beyond the constructs of spoken language, um, is a skill that I think is really valuable. Um, Mm-hmm. because it it sort of requires you to set aside a lot of judgment and a lot of yeah just I- ideas of it challenges the way you have to love someone like mm-hmm. um and you have to like you have to change you have to change your love with how they are changing with how their ability to love you changes and that is incredibly challenging but if you really love someone you will do that so I feel like in this process, I've learned a lot about that, about how to um, love someone through the changes that they're going through with as much compassion as possible, while also grieving who they were uh, and, and acknowledging that that's like a very significant 
loss and and that it's uh, that it's um forever changed in some ways <laughs> this is a easier question <laughs> um <laughs> you it sounds like you did a few sessions for this album a big one in the summertime um, and then you did a couple of shorter ones in the winter and fall all during 2021 um, and you said breaking it up a bit and having time to rest your ears and reflect always helps. So um, can you talk about the act of like resting during those sessions and how that how that helped you? Like maybe like how it made you feel more or less like confident when you were working on the album? Yeah, so we did a we did one session in February of that year that was sort of like a demo session, like a pre-production almost just sort of very casually recording um and just getting ideas for how to flesh the songs out and then so sort of the the nerves weren't as high for that um and then then we did a big session where the bulk of it was recorded in july and i've i mean i've only this is just the second i mean i guess third recording project that i've ever done and um i i've realized sort of over those projects that I've that I've become I just become a very intense self-critic in the studio um and having other people around me uh is really really important um to not for me to not get so deep in 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 my head um Mm -hmm. and so I think we sort of made a rule going into it that we wouldn't do more than three days in a row without a day off because I don't know when you listen <laughs> when you listen to your own songs and your own voice that much over and over again um, you begin to lose perspective yeah yeah uh, so <laughs> left to your own devices yes you would still be working on the album probably. yeah <laughs> yes yeah that's where community comes in once again um, yeah but yeah and then uh, then in September there was just one song that we were really having trouble with um, and I went back and recorded that. Um, okay, so now some questions about um, a few of the songs, including Tom and Jerry, which you mentioned was named after your favorite cartoon as a kid. <laughs> um, as I understand it, with Tom and Jerry, you were sick of writing the same breakup songs, so you like made use um, of, the, of the cartoon. So what made you use Tom and Jerry as a launching point for this idea, which is based around, like, yearning and wanting yeah um i honestly don't remember how how it came into my head but um i was just looking for something yeah i was in that headspace of just like i was almost just sick of writing the same same song over and over again and just needed a a new kind of metaphor um and that came to mind and it's just i mean this the main plot line of that cartoon is just yeah it's a constant yearning like uh tom's always trying to get jerry and jerry's always trying to get tom and they're always going after each other and it's but they never do and it's just so fucking funny (laughs) um (laughs) and they just have a very uh they have a hard time with each other and i just thought it was a really good uh, metaphor for uh a relationship yeah yeah, they like need each other and they hate each other. Right. Yeah, they need each other to make yeah. the story good. Almost so great. The song um, "West Lawn Cemetery." You say this song encapsulates so much of what the album is about that I used a lyric as the title. 
will become the flowers. Um, can you talk more about how this song encompasses the album? Yeah, the lyric that lyric is at the end end of the song, um, and I mean a lot of some of the songs on the album are, are about my mom, and and it's just sort of um, coming to peace as much as you can um, with the idea of of death in some ways. Um, and I um, I grew up right next to a cemetery, West Lawn Cemetery, um, and so goth. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, we would always walk our dog there growing up, and uh, I guess I would just sort of think about think about death a lot, uh, and just like look at all the weird names on the gravestones, and uh, yeah, we would we would actually go sledding in that cemetery too. There's some hills, and I always like <laughs> if I rode kids, I would not let them go sledding in a cemetery. <laughs> I think our <laughs> parents would make us wear helmets sometimes, but um, so where some more uh, wounds, Western Mass wounds came from. Yeah. Um, Sledding right into all the, all the colonizers. Yes. <laughs> Take them down. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it sort of encapsulates um, just the idea of uh, being okay with uh, death, like existing as a part of everyday life, which sort of did in, in a way when I was growing up and we would just spend a lot of time in that cemetery. Oh, no. In a cool September breeze by the graveyards in my hometown. Tangerine clouds past the alabaster tombs of people who figured it out. And it got me thinking how my mother's getting older now. I'm making her dinner at night. The song I Needed You. This song is about clinging onto a past idea of yourself or past ideas of what you thought you needed. So how did writing the song help you figure out what you actually need? I think when I was writing that song, yeah, I was very much in the perils of, of heartbreak. And uh, I think I sort of caught myself lying to myself uh, in that song. Um, like uh, some of the lyrics are, uh, I'm a simple person with the simple truth and my brother actually texted me the other day. He was like, he was like, oh, I'm listening to this song, but I think you're a complicated person. <laughs> I, think, I think this is wrong. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, and that, yeah, I think that song was like almost me trying to hang on to a version of myself that I ultimately had to part ways with, um, and as well as the person that I was with at the time. and and. I think when I was when I was in my early twenties, I was with like you know I was like in and out of this like one thing, this uh, what do they call it a situationship, and I you know my friends would be like, well, what do you need? And I'm like, well, I don't have needs. Because that this is like reminded me of like you know lying to yourself about any about that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a uh, yeah, it's a pattern that you can get into for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah. being on the outside looking at that song now, I, I, I see that. Um, and and I think by the end of the song, I think I'm sort of, you know, just like, you know what, it's okay. Um, embracing it a little <laughs> bit, but um, yeah. I want a simple house, simple man, dancing in the wilderness, never mind. 
Eliza, do you want to do the lightning round? Sure. Okay, Eliza Edens, here we go. The lightning round. What is your favorite scented candle? Ooh, um, probably rose. Oh. What color is your soul? The first thing that comes up is blue. What is one song you wish you had written? Maybe Graceland by Paul Simon mm. or, um... I Remember Everything by John Prime. Mm. Oh, good one. Who is your celebrity crush? <laughs> um, I don't know if I really have a celebrity crush. Uh, Timothy Chalamet is pretty hot. <laughs> All right. That's the correct answer. <laughs> shrug. <laughs> Very much shrug. <laughs> yes. What is the best gas station delicacy? Oh, that's a song lyric. Uh, SG that's from an SG Goodman song, right? I bet it is. A gas station delicacy. Lizzie No wrote that question, and we all know how she feels about SG Goodman. <laughs> Strongly. Um, my gas station delicacy is smart food popcorn. Ooh. But then if the fingers get all... It's worth it. Get all cheesed up. I myself prefer the skinny pop that doesn't have the substance on it. To each their own, Cindy. Thank you. Thank you for letting me be me. This is the last question. Where is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? Probably the high mountain. Oh, the San Juans in Colorado. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Southwestern Colorado. Sweet. Eliza, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Today's episode of Basic Folk was produced by John Nungesser. Basic Folk is on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. Find us there wherever you get podcasts, or you can search for us on the SiriusXM app, and you can also check out our website, basicfolk.com. All right, thanks for checking it out, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye! Bye!